This morning, um, I've mentioned it a few times uh, over the last few weeks, Elder Philip Dukes is the pastor at Grant's Mill Church, had called me about a prayer meeting they were wanting to have for the Birmingham area churches to pray specifically for revival in this area. And uh, I plan to go over there this afternoon to participate in that, but that had my mind on prayer this week, and as we've been trying to preach some about Christ's church, the church that Christ established, I thought this morning we would look at Christ's church and prayer, the function of prayer in Christ's church. And we won't look so much at how to pray or what we may, um, you know, the functions of prayer, but uh, just look at what we should be praying for, a few things we should be praying for, what prayer does, and then our examples of prayer. And I've shared this quote with you before, but uh, this is from Pastor Michael Goins. He says this about prayer. The ministry of prayer is the least glamorous but most essential function of Christian discipleship. Though a believer may be physically or financially limited so that his ability to participate in evangelistic activities is limited, he can and should pray for the success of the gospel through the ministry of intercessory prayer Everyone who in whom the Spirit of God dwells can participate in the work of the gospel kingdom. So we talk about prayer today. I want to look at prayer in our example, which would be Jesus. Uh, then some examples of prayer in the early church. And then I want to close by looking at prayer as really our tool or our weapon for deliverance in this life and for evangelism as the church, a church that should be praying uh, so we'll start this morning by looking at prayer and our example. You know, anything that we want to do in life, uh, anything we want to do as a church, as people who claim to be disciples of Jesus, uh, that means that we want to use Jesus as our model, right? Jesus is our teacher as to how we are to live or the things we are to do. And Jesus himself certainly modeled a life of prayer. Uh, you can look We'll look at several different verses today, so I don't know if you want to turn to all of them, but you know, in Luke chapter 11 and verse 1, it says that, uh, that Jesus was praying in a certain place, and it came to pass that his disciples came unto him, and they, they looked at him and they said, Lord, teach us to pray. Now, uh, that's, that, says a lot. that says a lot about the disciples of Jesus, that they wanted to learn to pray, but uh, they were coming to one who demonstrated a life of prayer, powerful prayer. And so they came to him to say, teach us how we should pray. And maybe sometime we'll look at uh, what, how, what Jesus taught them there. I know we have before. I've tried to preach on that many years ago here at Vestavia. Uh, but the point that I'm trying to make is that Jesus demonstrated prayer in such a way that others came to him to want to learn from him. You ever been around someone that demonstrates something you want to be or a skill you want to have, so you're drawn to them to ask them to show you how to do it. That's what's happening here in Luke chapter 11. And so we'll notice in Mark chapter 1 that Jesus started his day with prayer. It'd be interesting to know what, what's the first thing most people do in this room when they wake up in the morning. <laughs> Mine's usually roll over and try to go back to sleep. Um, but in Mark chapter 1 and verse 35, it says, And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. 
he found a place to pray. It's, it's interesting to me that in Luke chapter 11, it says that he was praying in a certain place. In Mark chapter 1, it says he went into a solitary place. He had a place to pray. Um, maybe that's a good example for us that maybe we need to find a place in our house or maybe in our cars or wherever it may be, a place that we can go and actually pray. We should, we should pray always, as Jesus would teach us, that we pray without ceasing. We're never to faint in our prayers, but here it shows that Jesus would take it. He would find a place to go, to be alone, a solitary place, a, away from the noise and the distractions of life so that he could pray. And then it's very interesting that he didn't just pray when things were going good or when things were going bad. He, he lived a life of prayer. He ended his life in prayer. Let's go to Matthew chapter 26, and I'll, I'll read these for you. But it's starting in verse 36. This is when Jesus is towards the end of his life. He's about to be captured and crucified and put into a tomb. And it says in verse 36 in, in Matthew 26, it says, Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane, and saith unto his disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and two sons of Zebedee, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me, and he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed. When Jesus is facing a situation that none of us will ever be in, his response to that, that situation, the most difficult situation that anyone has ever been in or ever will be in, he's about to go and pay the price for our sins. He meets that with prayer. Y'all see that? He says, I go to pray. He says, oh, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And he cometh unto his disciples and findeth them asleep. He said unto Peter, What, could you not watch with me for one hour? Verse 41, he says, Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. How many of y'all understand that to be true in your life? That the spirit that's inside of you is very willing but your flesh is very weak. Such a true statement from our Lord. And he went away again a second time and prayed, saying, O oh, my Father, if this cup may not pass away from me except I drink it, thy will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them and went away again and prayed the third time, saying the same words. You know, we may not say this audibly. Some people do. Uh, but sometimes we say this with our life. We say, I don't have time to pray. <laughs> you ever made it to, to bed at night and you lay down and the thought crosses your mind, did I pray? <laughs> the truth of the matter is, if we look at the life of Jesus, it should tell us that we don't have time not to pray. He made time for prayers. Do y'all see that this morning? We have to make prayer a priority in our lives and i'm not saying you have to get up and the first thing you do is pray it's probably good to start your brother sam used to talk a lot about starting to communicate your day communicating with god i remember that he could say you could wake up and say good morning lord or you could wake up and say lord it's morning there's two attitudes it changes your attitude doesn't it if you start your day with communication with god but we have to make that a priority it's not easy to wake up early before, you know, in Mark 1, you go read that, verse 35, he woke up early, very early to go pray. 
Jesus was a busy man, right? He had people that were coming to him and pulling for his time and his attention, just like all of us. So he knew I better get up early or this won't get done. Y'all see that? We have, to make, we have to make prayer a priority. And the early church did that as we look at prayer in the early church. Just after, you can turn to Acts chapter 1. Just after Jesus has ascended uh, back into heaven, their leader is gone and they've been told to, to wait and tarry there. It says in verse 12 of Acts chapter 1, it says, Then they returned unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem a Sabbath day journey. And when they were come in, they went up into the upper room where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew and Philip and Thomas and Bartholomew, Matthew and James, the son of Alphaeus and Simon Zeletus and Judas, the brother of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. This had to be a time of great loneliness this had to be a time of great confusion uh, this 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 man this guy that they've been following for three and a half years has ascended into heaven uh, th this angel has spoken unto them that this Jesus is going to come back they have all this in front of them that Jesus has told them about and so what do we find them doing we find them in prayer you see that they, they were modeling what Jesus was doing as Jesus was about to face death he prays as the disciples are about to face a hardship that we, we probably don't know much about in 2022 in uh, the comforts that we have today is they're about to go out and not have a home, not have uh, they're, they're going to they're going to experience what it was to be like Jesus and to give their life for the gospel. They go and they pray. See, one thing that, that convicts me as we look at the early church, we look at Jesus and, and how they modeled prayer for us, is that they didn't use prayer as a last resort. It was their first resort. How many of us use prayer as a last resort? What? So many times I'll call, you know, I'll talk to people, maybe people in the church, people I know, and and maybe they're going through something something hard. And, and I, I say this a lot, and it always gets to me. I say, well, is there is there anything I can do for you? <laughs> Y'all ever say that? And you want them to, you really want them to give you something to do for them. And um, sometimes they'll say, well, just pray. Or sometimes they'll just ask you to pray for them. And really, who knows that that prayer may be a lot better than bringing them a meal, taking the time to pray or to, to, to giving them money or whatever it may be. But often we would rather Sometimes I feel like this. We'd rather have something to do than just go and pray for them. Y'all ever feel like that? Because really, we're our faith, it, it wanes at times, doesn't it? And we think about prayer, that we're connecting with God. And we think, what it, it, it's, we're just going to confess this morning. Sometimes we think, what good is this prayer going to do? I think we'll see some of that later as we look at some of these verses. But look, the, the church of God shouldn't be a place where prayer is a last resort. <laughs> it should be a place where prayer is our first priority. When we're seeking the kingdom first, part of that is through prayer. That's how we seek the kingdom of God. In Acts chapter 2, verse 41, it says, Then they that gladly received the word were baptized, and the same day there were added to them about 3,000 souls. So the church is growing. And then it describes what the church was doing. It says they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship and in breaking of bread, and in prayers. 
They were praying. The early church knew it was important to be together and to pray. Um, in Acts chapter 16, one of my favorite chapters in all of the Bible, I just am drawn to that over and over and over. When, when Paul and, and those that are with him go into Philippi, uh, the place they go to find is a place where prayer was wont to be made. There was a place where, where women were gathered together praying, and that's where they go. And, and they continue in prayer. Uh, and and you know that the Lord blessed them in Philippi to start a church and to have great revival in that city. But it all started by going to a place where people were just praying. <laughs> That's amazing, isn't it? Prayer is so powerful. Uh, in Acts chapter 6, the, the early church, as we talk about their, their need for prayer, their commitment for prayer, where they saw this this. High priority for prayer, it says in, in, in those days, Acts chapter 6, in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them. So the early ministry caused the disciples unto them, and they said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and of wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. See, there were, there were people that were being neglected. Their daily needs were being neglected. There, uh, there was just, you know, there was people here that were lacking what they should get from the church. And the minister was saying, it's not, it's not even feasible that we can do it all. Um, you know, it's not feasible that the, it's not feasible like the preacher can know everything that's going on with all of y'all. You know that, right? And we don't have a problem with this, but I've, uh, I've known of people that uh, they get mad at the preacher because, you know, he didn't come see them or didn't call them. And sometimes they don't even know. Like if you don't let the preacher know, he's not omnipresent or om omniscient. <laughs> um, but the church is a place where your needs should be met, right? If there's anyone in here that's struggling, it's our duty if we have a, fellow church member who's struggling, whether it be uh, with, with sickness or finance or whatever it may be, it's our duty as brothers and sisters to meet those needs, but they couldn't be met by just these 12. So he says it's not, it doesn't make sense that we should leave the Word of God and serve them. So they get deacons to come in and to meet those physical needs of those widows. And the, and the ministry says we'll give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And if you go on to verse 7, it says the Word of God increased and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. And I think what we can learn from that is if we, find a, if we're, if we as a church are a church that cares for one another, a church that prays, and a church that is devoted to the Word of God, just like this church here, we're a church that's primed for growth. Or revival. Do y'all see that? And that's what they were doing. They were meeting. They they weren't just completely focused on prayer. They weren't completely focused on the Word of God. They weren't just completely focused on service. They were focused on all three: serving each other, praying, and the ministry of the Word of God. And the church multiplied and increased. So I think you can see there that our leader Jesus and and the early church that we want to. Uh, we want to use as our example and mimic the early church as the church in 2022. They were devoted to prayer. But now I want to look at prayer as, as our tool or our, uh, you can use the word weapon. You remember several weeks ago, I tried to speak a little from 2 Timothy chapter 2. 
And, and Paul begins that by saying, Now therefore, this is chapter 2 of 2 Timothy, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The things which thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. He says, No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. And so as we talked about a few weeks ago, and I can reiterate now, as we are, as the church of God, we are, it's, it's not even so much that we are at war, at war with the world, but for 2,000 years, the world system has been at war with the church. And so we need weapons or tools to deliver us from that. And as individual Christians, don't y'all need deliverance from many? Most of the time, I need deliverance from me. <laughs> really. But you get in situations and circumstances and sin that you need deliverance from. But God hasn't left us to Himself, right? He's given us a way of deliverance. But Paul talked about our weapons in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 4. And he would say that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not of the flesh, but we look to God. For our, for our, we look to God to fight for us. See, we're in a spiritual battle. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. We wrestle against the devil and his demons and, 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 and all those that are contrary to God's word, to God, and, and to his church. And so that's what I want to look at right now is prayer as a, as a weapon for us or a tool that we have uh, for deliverance. So many times we get ourselves. In a, in, a, in a mess or we find ourselves in a situation that we need to, to get out of or a situation that we need salvation from. Um, but, but often, often I will do this. I will use prayer as my last resort. Maybe if I could just, um, maybe you're in a, a dry, anybody ever been in a dry spot where they just, they just really, sometimes you just don't even want to go to church or you just really, you know, you, you, that's that hymn just it seems like everybody else is so spiritual and you feel so down and then you'll you'll come up with these ideas well maybe if i'll just i'll read 30 more minutes every day or i'll do this or i'll do that and i'll do this and eventually you come to the end of yourself and the only thing left you've got to do is pray right well, that's what we should start with listen to psalm 34 verse um, 17 it says the righteous cry and the lord hears isn't that amazing is it if we get nothing else out of this message today, isn't it mind-blowing to you all today that the, the God, this, that, that God, this Spirit that inhabits everything, <laughs> the, the one that in the beginning said, let there be light and there was light, the one that created everything that we see, the one that is so much holier than we are, uh, this, this God hears us talk to Him. That's amazing to me. It's amazing to me that we can connect with God right here and right now. Um, in, in Psalm 34, 4, David said this, I sought the Lord and He heard me and delivered me from all my fears. I love that. Uh, I don't know what fears you're dealing with today, but I know we've all got them. 
And, and sometimes we can look so many places to try to relieve those fears. But here, David, David did the right thing. He went to the Lord. He sought after the Lord. He cried to the Lord. And he says, he heard me and delivered me from all my... Who are we? That, I don't remember what song was it. Was it number, number eight that we sang just a moment ago? And it says, the verse, verse four there says, frail children of dust and feeble as frail. We are, that is, that describes man, doesn't it? Frail children of dust. And yet, sinners like me and you can cry out to God and He hears us. That's amazing, isn't it? Remember Cornelius in Acts chapter 10? This is before the gospel ever gets to him, but he's a centurion. You can go read about this later, Acts chapter 10. But the angel of the Lord comes to him and, 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 and it, describes, uh, it describes Cornelius as being a devout man. He gave much alms and he prayed to God always. Just a spoiler alert. Before Peter ever got to Cornelius, God had reached him. Aren't you glad to know that God can reach people before the preacher ever gets to them? I'm so thankful to know that. But he says, he, he makes this statement to Cornelius. He says, Thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a memorial before God. We can present ourselves before God through our prayers and our alms. Isn't that amazing? That right now in heaven, you can have a, you can have a presence in heaven today while you're still on earth through your prayers. That's amazing, isn't it? And I, I shudder to think about how many times they think, what has Josh been up to? We hadn't heard from him for a while. But the psalmist says, the righteous cry and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. I don't know what your trouble is today, but there's a God that is waiting to hear from you. And when we cry unto Him, the promise is that He will deliver. Now, His deliverance may not come in the way that you want deliverance. But I do believe that the Lord is good and will deliver you. Do y'all believe that this morning? Romans chapter 15, starting in verse 30, Paul says, Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit that you strive together with me in your prayers to God for me, that I may be delivered. Paul was asking for deliverance. Maybe you're caught up in a, in a situation that you want out of. Maybe you're caught up in, a, in the spin cycle of life or some habitual sin that you can't get out of. Well, I'm going to tell you, you need to do the same thing that Paul did and beg your brothers and sisters to pray for you that you'll be delivered from it. He said, I want to be delivered from them that do not believe in Judea that I may that my service which I have for Jerusalem may be accepted of the saints, that I may come unto you with joy by the will of God and may with you be refreshed. Um, let's look at a story of the impact of prayer this morning. Um, I, I normally don't like to jump to so many different places in Scripture, but prayer is a big subject. <laughs> and so I want to look with you today at at the fervent prayer uh, that that actually worked—a prayer, an answered prayer in Acts chapter twelve, beginning in verse one. 
It says, Now about that time Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church. And he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Then were the days of unleavened bread. And when he apprehended him, he put him in prison and delivered him into four quaternions of soldiers. That's four soldiers by four soldiers to keep him, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. And before we go any further, this is something that you're going to see throughout history that you see throughout. Uh, you see it here in the Bible. And, and it's never a good thing. Uh, it's, it's really never a good thing. This is when, when religion, the religion of the day, and the government of the day come together to persecute the church. Y'all see that? In Acts chapter 8, we have Stephen, who's the first Christian martyr, and he is persecuted by the religious elite of the day. And now we have James, who has been killed, and he is persecuted by the government of that day. And so you have religious persecution in Acts chapter 8, and you have governmental persecution in Acts chapter 12, and this is a pattern that will repeat itself throughout history. You have uh, later, some hundreds of years later, a few hundred years later, you will have the, the government of Rome will um, join itself with the so-called church of that day. And this church state, uh, if you will, would go on to persecute many of our forefathers. It's never good. I believe the, I believe the founders of this country were blessed by God uh, to have a separation between the church and the state. And I also don't believe they ever intended for the church not to have an impact on the state. They just didn't want the state having an impact on the church. And, and, and I don't think they were just brilliant. I mean, they were brilliant men, but I think they were blessed of God. This never happened before. It's, it's a great experiment. But it's never good when the church and the state join together because somebody always ends up being persecuted. And another spoiler alert, it's usually the Baptist. <laughs> you know, in early America, you had that as the colonies would have their state religions, if you want to say that, such as the Puritans, like in, I believe it's Massachusetts. And you will see that although it may sound good or it may look good, beneath all of that, there was persecution of those Baptists and other others who would dissent from the popular opinion of that day. And you have very, it's, it's almost a mind-blowing thing. Because you can read some of the Puritan writers, and these men were so much more devoted in many ways than we are. Uh, they were very pious people. But when they gained that power, they would literally kill people over dissenting over their religion. That's See, the human heart, even when touched by the grace of God, can be very wicked when given absolute power. Do you all understand that today? I think the saying is that absolute power corrupts absolutely. <laughs> so it's never a good thing. It's happened throughout history. And I will tell you this, I truly believe it's happening today in our society. But the religion of today isn't Presbyterianism or Puritans or whatever it may be. The religion of our day is, well, they call it tolerance. Or 
My grandmother called me about three months ago and she said, Josh, what does it mean to be woke? <laughs> um, you know, you hear that really the religion of the day is wokeism. It's, um, and it might be a minority, I think it's probably a minority re religion that has a, just a, a large presence. Um, you know, people that are self-aware and they're socially conscious of all the aggressions and the prejudices of all these so-called marginalized groups. And, and what, what you'll see is, is that these people, and you see them on TV if you, if you watch it or you see them on the Internet, they're, they, they want to be so tolerant and talk about how bad all these other groups are, right? And they, really they're the most intolerant people on the face of the earth. But what they want is power. That's what they want. Power over you. And there are many in our government today that have seen that as an opportunity. Because there's many in our government that you know what they want? Power. <laughs> Complete control. And they've seen this movement over here that, um, you know, it's like a, it's a mixing together of all these um, small groups to try to form a bigger group to try to gain power. That's really what it is. And the government's seen that, and, and the main thing standing between uh, the, the woke mobs and the bloodthirsty government uh, from complete control, it's not, it's not Republicans, it's not Libertarians, it's not truckers. <laughs> it's the church. That's the main thing. Now, I hope there are politicians and good people that try to stand between uh, those that would try to take away our freedom or try to take, you know, to worship God. Um, but it's the church. Why did, why did Herod want to kill James? Uh, because it, he saw that it pleased the religious elite of that day, and he was just wanting power. Do you see that? So I don't say all that to scare you today or make some kind of political point, but I, here's, here's what we need. We need to pray, brothers and sisters. I don't know if I don't know what the future holds for the church in America, but I know this: it doesn't look as good as it did yesterday, or the day before, or ten years ago, or twenty years ago. And if you find yourself like I have before, knowing what's going on here, you can see this dark cloud approaching, but yet we're not praying then that goes back to kind of what we talked about last week. Are we just so lukewarm and so caught up in everything else that we just don't care anymore? So I challenge us to pray. It says in verse 5, But therefore, or Peter therefore was kept in the prison, but prayer was made without ceasing. I love that. Peter's in prison. He needs to be delivered. He was kept in the prison. He says, But prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. And when Herod would have brought him forth, the same night Peter was, listen to this, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and the keepers before the door kept the prison. I'm going to tell you this, the Apostle Peter, and my dad's here today, the Apostle Peter, some of y'all know my granddad, the Apostle Peter and Coker men have one thing in common. <laughs> if they get still, they go to sleep. <laughs> We've already seen that Jesus took him into the garden and said, watch here and wait. And he comes back and he's asleep. 
there's a picture of my granddad and my dad and me at Christmas one day, and we were all just laid back on the couch asleep. <laughs> but you know, they say somebody that can rest is a sign of a good conscience. <laughs> and I don't know if I've got one, but I bet you Peter did, because Peter, you know, Peter wasn't perfect, was he? He denied the Lord. He had he had he had lived a life contrary to, to God. Um but here he is in jail just sleeping. <laughs> That's a man who, who was content in Jesus, don't y'all think? Sleeping between, two, between the prison guards. You know, when you can, it's not when you can see you for who you are that you rest well, but when you can see Jesus for who He is and what He took away, your shame and your guilt and your sin, then you can rest well. Amen? I love that. He says, and behold, the angel of the Lord, verse 7, came unto him and light shined in the prison. And he smote Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise up quickly. And his chains fell off from his hands. And the angel said unto him, Gird thyself and bind on thy sandals. And so he did. And he saith unto him, Cast thy garments about thee and follow me. And he went out and followed him. And wist not that it was true, uh, which was done by the angel, but thought he, was in a, he saw a vision. He thought he was dreaming. Verse 10, it says, When they were past the first and the second ward, they came into the iron gate that leads into the city, which opened to them of his own accord. And they went out and passed on through one street, and forthwith the angel departed from him. And when Peter was come to himself, he said, Now I know of a surety that the Lord has sent his angel and hath delivered me out of the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the people of the Jews. Verse 12. says, And when he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. We have the deliverance of Peter coupled with the prayers of the church. And it was God that delivered him, but it was the people that were praying. Do y'all see that? The righteous cry out to God in time of trouble and what happens? He delivers them. Peter is delivered from certain death. It says in verse 13, And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a damsel came to hearken named Rhoda. And when she knew Peter's voice, she opened not the gate for gladness, but ran in and told how Peter stood before the gate. And they said unto her, Praise God, I knew that would happen. <laughs> I told you God would deliver him. Let's go get him and bring him in and feed him. It says, and when she knew Peter's voice, she opened, she opened not the gate for gladness, but ran in and told how Peter stood before the gate. And they said unto her, you are mad. You're crazy. You've lost your mind. But she constantly affirmed that it was even so. Then said they, it's his angel. And maybe they thought it was his guardian angel. I don't know, but probably what they meant is they probably said, no, he's already dead. That's his spirit at the door. <laughs> the ones who were gathered together praying for his deliverance are saying, no, that can't be him. <laughs> but Peter continued knocking. And when they had opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. <laughs> and I don't know what all lessons you can get from that, but I'll tell you this, just a little bit of faith 
in a very big God can go a whole long way, can it? I, I, if there was a scale of faithfulness, I'd hate to see where mine is, but I can tell you God's answered my feeble prayers. How many of y'all can testify that God's answered your prayers? I keep a list. I keep a document on my phone that I try to you know, pray for different people. And, and I was looking through it this week, and I will... I used to maybe maybe there would be a prayer answered and I would or you know no longer needed maybe it's somebody like somebody in the hospital and they were sick and you prayed for them and they got better or or whatever I would delete it off my document and add it. I started highlighting them on my document and it encouraged me to go back and look and think um, that's an answer to prayer it's it's a it's amazing. There are people in this church today that I've prayed to God would be, and they're here. And I just I go back and look at that and think that's God delivering His people through prayer. And I don't know how much my prayer played into that, but we we serve a God that can do exceedingly abundantly more than we can even ask or think. <laughs> now these people were sitting there praying for Peter to be delivered. But on the inside, their faith was so weak, they were outwardly praying, but inwardly they were thinking, this is probably never going to happen. But yet God was merciful to them and delivered Peter. Doesn't that make y'all want to pray a little bit more? <laughs> to me, that encourages me. I love how the Bible uh, doesn't play around with who we are. <laughs> Last week, you know, I said, we are messed up people. You remember I hit my Bible and something flew out of it? and That was embarrassing to me. <laughs> I was instructing my son at the dinner table this week. But I was listening now. <laughs> I said, buddy, you just can't do this. I can't remember exactly what it was now. And he said, dad, I can't help it. I'm a messed up person. <laughs> <laughs> now, what could I do at that point? <laughs> I guess he was listening. <laughs> You know what goes on to happen? Herod, I want, we want, you can go back and read that. Herod goes on to get the keepers of the prison. He ends up killing them and Peter goes free. Isn't that amazing? You know, the three Hebrew boys were thrown into the fire and the only ones that burn up were the ones that threw them in. <laughs> God has a miraculous way of delivering His people, doesn't He? Let's close. Just We won't, we won't look at this long, but by Let's look prayer and, and the spread of the gospel. Not only are we prayed to be delivered in this life, but we need to be, it needs to be our priority to pray for the spread of the gospel. Um, in Matthew chapter 9, beginning in verse 35, it says, And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. What Jesus, I believe what Jesus is telling them there is, is just like, 
uh, Cornelius in Acts chapter 10 before Peter ever got to him. There is a large amount of people in this world that God, God has already reached. He's already changed their heart. He's already given them a spirit that yearns for Him, but there's not enough ministers to get to them. You know, there'll be more people in heaven than the gospel ever got to. Do y'all believe that? Now that separates primitive Baptists from a lot. You could say that in a lot of churches and nobody's going to say amen. But I don't, I don't want to go somewhere where they, think, where they think that God can't get to them without me. What about y'all? <laughs> um, but Jesus says that's always, always been the case. But He says you need to pray. Look, there is a huge need right now. You think, what can I be praying for tonight? There is a huge need among our churches, among all churches really, but among primitive Baptist churches throughout this country, there is a huge need for, for more ministers. There are churches that go on, they come to church on Sunday and they have no preacher to preach for them. And so if you, if, if you think you've run out of things to pray for, you haven't. Pray for that God would raise up, um, church, God would raise up ministers throughout this country to pastor the church. And, and look, we have young ministers that God is raising up here in Alabama. And I love that because that, that tells me that God's not done with the church here. <laughs> There'd be no need for ministers if He wasn't raising up ministers, right? But there are many places where, the, where there's just there's a lack of ministry. So you can be praying for that, but then praying for the, for the, for the spread of the Gospel. Um, we'll, we'll hurry. In, in, in Ephesians chapter 6, when, as you talk about warfare, Paul describes... Uh, he describes the armor with which we're to, to arm ourselves in this battle. And that's where he says, you know, we put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, the, the, the methods, the warfare that the devil has. He says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against rulers of darkness, of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And he goes on to list those, but then he, he says this, in verse 18, he says, praying. As we're, to, as we're to put on all these things, he says that we're to, we're to be found praying always. Just like Cornelius, the man that prayed to God always in all times and in all circumstances, praying without ceasing, this, this attitude of prayer. He says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for the saints. And for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. He says, Paul, the Apostle Paul is asking that you would pray for him, that he would, that he would be able to speak, that, there would, that, that, that utterance may be given unto him, as he says, that I may open my mouth boldly, that he would be able to find a place to speak the gospel. He told the Colossian church this, Colossians 4, starting in verse 2, continue in prayer. We're talking about Christ's church in prayer, right? The importance of prayer. And we minimize prayer. But here's the importance of prayer. He says, he says continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving, with all praying also for us that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in bonds that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. You know, you can go in, in the book of Acts, in the book of uh, 
book of Corinthians, I think, first and second Corinthians, Paul talks about doors that God had opened. Sometimes you'll hear me pray a lot of times that God would open doors in Vestavia Hills, Alabama. And, and what we that's kind of a maybe that's a strange way to, to say things today, but what, what we're saying is that God would create opportunities for us to speak the gospel because God can open doors that no man can open, right? And even you say there's no way I can get to to this family member, to this person, or to that group, but God can open. How many of y'all would think you'd be part of a church that would be that would be part of a movement to establish churches on the other side of the world in Africa? Did y'all, some of y'all are smart. Did y'all think y'all be part of a church like that? But God can open doors, right? You can go back. You should listen to Brother um, Vernon Johnson. I love to hear him talk about how he got involved in the work in Africa. And it came after a second prayer. They had, they had a prayer meeting. I'll tell you all this real quick. You've probably heard it. But their church was, 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 was dying. Their church was you know, dwindling away. So they had, a church, they had a church meeting to pray, specifically to pray for revival. And he said within about a year, there was like 20 more people at the church. <laughs> and he told someone about this. And they said, well, did you do it again? <laughs> and he said, No. <laughs> So they had another meeting to pray for open doors, for revival. And when he got home that night, he had an email from Brother Martin Anyani in Kisi, Kenya, who had found their website and was reading about what Primitive Baptists believed the night of the prayer meeting. Tell me prayer doesn't work. I told Brother Philip Dukes about that story. And I told him the moral of the story is we need to be specific or we want these open doors, brother. <laughs> I'm terrible, y'all. So we're going to pray for Hawaii. <laughs> tell me God, tell me God doesn't answer prayers. I, won't, I, won't, I don't believe you. <laughs> Second Thessalonians chapter 3. Let's close with this. Get in verse 1. Finally, brethren... Pray for us. You know, 1 Thessalonians, Paul would say the same thing. Pray for us. For the ministry. In Hebrews, he would say, pray for us. And I'm going to tell you, if you could, I believe if every one of you could feel the inadequacy that the man that stands behind this pulpit feels when he's trying to bring a message to you all, whether it be me or someone else here today, I think you would begin to feel the need for prayer. When I was a little boy, I can remember people coming up to preach and they would start their sermon. And a lot of times I'll do this, but say, you know, pray for me as I try to stand before you. And maybe that can be a habit that we get into, but there's a reason that people say that is because they feel the need for prayer. Paul says, pray for us. Pray for us that the Word of the Lord, we pray for the Gospel, that the Word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you. When you get home tonight, you can pray that the Gospel, the Word of the Lord, would have free course. That means that the doctrine of God would, would rapidly spread. It would rapidly spread. We could spread. The, that's, 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 that should be our desire as church members, right? That, the, that this Gospel rapidly spreads. <laughs> Now, generally, the, the, the gospel goes from, from faith to faith, from one person to another, and, and church growth usually happens small. But Paul says here, you need to pray 
for the rapid spread. When, when the, you can go read this later in Matthew chapter 28 when the, the ladies come to the tomb. Uh, when they find out that Jesus is not there, uh, they run to bring the other disciples' word. It's the same word that's translated free course here in, in 2 Thessalonians. They, run, they want the gospel to have free course to rapidly spread. And not only that, we don't want the Word of God just to spread, to spread, but here he says, and to be glorified. I, even as it is with you, I hope we can say about Bestavia Primitive Baptist Church today that this is a place where the Word of God is revered, where it's glorified, where it's exalted to its proper place. There's a psalm that talks about God um, has magnified His Word above His name. Remember that, let's go back to Acts chapter 6. What was it? What, what, what kind of church was it that was primed for growth? It was a church that was taking care of its members. It was a church that was praying together and a church that was glorifying the Word of God. That's the three keys to a healthy church. Let's pray that we have it here. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank You. Uh, for this day. We thank You for the gift of prayer. We know You could have left us alone. We didn't, you, we, you were not obligated to give us a means of access to You, but You did. And help us not to take that for granted. May we start every day with prayer and end every day with prayer. Uh, may, our lives, uh, may our lives be like Jesus, where we live a lifestyle of prayer. God, I do pray that you'd raise up ministers here at this church and throughout this area and, and throughout the world, ministers that would uh, devote themselves to your word and uh, week in and week out would, would feel the burden and, and the, the fire within them to preach from your word. And for those ministers that you've called into your uh, gospel church, that you've called to preach the gospel, I pray that you would continually give them that fire inside to preach your word because it can become very discouraging. And uh, we, we pray, God, that those who are discouraged would be encouraged and, and that you would strengthen your ministry. But also pray, God, that you would, you would give the gospel free course here in Birmingham, Alabama, that there would be people, men, women, children, our friends, our family, that you would open a door, you'd give us an opportunity, you'd give us access to them uh, whose hearts you've opened and who are looking for the truth of the gospel and that you would allow us to speak that truth to them. And they could come in among us and be part of our church congregation and our family. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.